House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. We are back. You're in the House of Mystery. Now, uh, today we've got uh, crime writer Diane Fanning. Now, we've had her before. And a very interesting, um, last time we talked about the uh, Tommy Lynn Cells uh, Through the Window, and uh, she's got a new book. So uh, we want to welcome you to the show. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. And uh, it's the, the story with Tommy Lynn Cells does keep going on. There's uh, someone else that uh, was convicted of a murder and... It was a horrific crime in St. Louis, Rodney Lincoln, and he's been in prison for 33 years, and now uh, he's the only surviving witness says she believes Tommy Lynn Sells did it once she saw his picture. Yeah, it's just amazing. And uh, I think people are starting to get, uh, I'm, I don't want to say obsessed, but they're, they're certainly really interested in this subject. I, I, you know, obviously the Stephen Avery case and making a murderer, as, as blown it open as people can just sit there and watch it. And uh, it's it's really bringing America to the attention that um, the justice system's not quite what they thought it was. Well, you know, it's a system created by people and implemented by people. And the bottom line is we're not perfect. And although the vast majority of those who are tried and convicted and put to prison, deserve to be there. There are exceptions because we aren't perfect. And we need to be able to, uh, I think, uh, be a little more athletic uh, at how we handle situations like this and uh, make speed up the process so these people, once we find out they've been wrongfully convicted, can get just justice set right as quickly as possible. Yeah, you know, and you're right, and and I just don't know how we can, again, we're dealing with humans, and, and look at with, like, the Tommy Lynn Sales or any of the other cases, it's really hard. They're very defensive about um, when they do a conviction, like you, you helped that the lady with the wrongful conviction in that case. You know, so how how do we get them to be not so defensive like you know in some cases obviously they'll do things that are wrong but a lot of them they're just they just don't want to open up and look at new things and be wrong well i think um on you've got a problem just basically some people ever like admit they made a mistake and um then you have a system where the in public needs to look at district attorneys in a different way. I think if you look at most constitutions in the, each state constitution, you will find that the prosecuting attorney system was set up uh, with attorneys to find truth and seek justice. And instead, we tend to focus on how many cases have you won? How many murderers have you put behind bars? Uh, you know, how well do you do it to people up? And to a game, set the game of truth and justice. 
And um, I think you can partially put the blame on uh, the people who are in those prosecution positions, because some of them do lose sight of their mission, and others you can put it on yourself and fellow voters. Uh, We we need to focus on uh, making sure they, they live up to their mission as opposed to accumulating wins. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's one of those situations where we're kind of, I think we're sort of stuck. Um, I don't see it happening real fast. No, no. I think the only thing that can make a difference is if we become more aware as public. And I think the more awareness we have of uh, the fact that as much integrity as there might be in the criminal justice system, there are still problems and there are still mistakes. And we need to um, find ways to rectify them. And it, it takes a lot of awareness to get people to the point that they're willing to. Because some of them involve time, some involve changing paradigms, and others involve money. And nobody wants to give up time or money. So it, it, it does take a while to make any kind of significant change in uh, in institution. Yeah, yeah, that's it's, it's too bad, actually. Um, so now you're on to a new book that uh, just came out, uh, "Bitter Remains." Um, where did you come across that story? Well, the first indication I had is I just stumbled across the story, and. There was an actress and a musician and a dead graphic artist. And that just seemed so unusual to me, such an odd combination that I had to look into it further. Uh, a lot of times you think of people who were involved in the arts in any way not being the kind of people that would be involved in steamy underworld crime. Sure, there might be financial crimes, but not something like murder. And so it takes you a little back. And you look at um, Ackerson, the victim in this case, and she was a very nice woman. People liked her. She um, hadn't achieved much success in her life, but she was pretty young. And she was determined to rebuild her life and and get things going because she wanted to do well for the sake of her little boys. And she's someone who uh, was not out there uh, running around with the wrong crowd. She was not um, walking the streets. She was not doing all these other things that seem to raise risk level. She was just trying to build a business, um, prove her entrepreneurial grit, and, and get things going. And she talked to me doing just that. She had started a little business that was beginning to take off. And she was working so hard and caring for boys so well that it was like she should have been... Um, and used for the label of motherhood, you know, and boom, there she was doing everything she could as a strong, strong woman, as a mother, and as an entrepreneur. And yet she had this 
one weakness in her life, the time she got involved with the wrong man, and it went all wrong from there. So, so how did that start for her? Like, so she, um, she was she married to this guy? She thought she was married to this guy, Grant Hayes. He's a musician, and she thought she was married. In fact, she thought she was married up until the day she received uh, a photograph online of the man she thought was her husband and this other woman getting married in Las Vegas. <laughs> well, that's a surprise. <laughs> yes, and then uh, her husband pointed her the man she thought was her husband pointed out that he never signed the paperwork, so they were na- never legally married so so how did he get away with not signing it like how would you not i don't know but he is slick that is one thing he definitely is very slick and he managed to pull that off wow yeah so so she's she's in a position all of a sudden where her husband isn't really her husband yes and she's got two little boys and they're his yes Okay, so so what does she do when she finds out that he's now remarried or finally maybe really married to someone else? Well, she was already in the midst of a custody case with him because he had, um, she had allowed the oldest boy to go with him for um, a week or ten days to his home in Manhattan They said he was going to be in a photo shoot for a commercial. And so she allowed that to happen, but then time went by and he was bringing the boy back. So she filed a thing in the courts to get him to come back. Well, he got mad when he heard that, and he went uh, and did a, a hearing before a judge without her presence, without her being aware of it, for an emergency custody hearing. And he told lies about her, and he disparaged her character, and he said she was using drugs, and said she was doing online prostitution, and he got an emergency custody order, and missing the boy's sick. So he got this, and he already had the older boy, with a little tiny boy, 18 months old, who has frankly not hardly seen his father at all in his whole life. Suddenly, the sheriff is showing up at the door and taking him away from his mother to deliver him an hour away to his father. Well, how he was now back down in North Carolina. Well, how did he get away with doing it without her being present? Or there are situations for emergency custody where the claim is we just got to do this because the child's lives are in danger. And then we'll have a full hearing later. So everybody knew there was going to be a full hearing later. But he was able to do that. And um, it's just awful that he got away with it at all. But he did. And then um, immediately when she got served with those papers, she went to an attorney because she had been doing legal stuff her own prior to that. And... Um, they immediately got things into motion, got the new hearing, and the new 
and the, and the judge said, okay, well, we'll let him have the kids during the week since the mother is working during the week, and we'll let the mother have them on the weekends since the father is working on weekends because he was a musician. So that was a temporary thing until they had they had to go through psychological evaluations and, um, you know, prove that it, the best interest of the children. So while they were going through this uh, complete psychological workup, things started looking very, very bad for the father. In fact, um, and the report came out, in May of uh, uh, 2011, uh, it basically was saying that, yes, the mother had some things she needed to work on, but they were all personal development kind of things. She should get a mentor to help her with, you know, any issues she was having, somebody she could vent with and, and could give her some advice. And for Grant, though, she recommended that he get uh, psycholog- psychological or psychiatric help uh, to look for the possibility of a personality disorder. So this was major mental illness, and he's been saying she was crazy all along, but it wasn't her. So now, Grant, he's got a new wife now. Uh, how is how is she for uh, you know wanting to take the two two kids that were someone else's? Well, essentially, she was okay with that, and basically, she was part of the evaluation, too. She didn't get the full blown-up thing, but she had to talk to the psychiatrist. And she, um, what she wanted to do was basically just, you know, wipe out Laura's existence so that her husband's two boys could be with them and they could travel for, um, his career, and they could travel for fun, and they could just go as they want and not have to worry about anybody having custody. You know, they could they'd just be their kids. That's what they wanted. They just wanted her to disappear. They didn't think she was important in the boys' lives at all. Wow. And how did he meet the new wife? <clears throat> he met the new wife. Um, he had gone to um, the Virgin Islands, and he was uh, doing music gigs down there. And at that point, Laura had one son and was making plans to leave him because things just hadn't been going well. He was very controlling. He had um, fits of temper that seemed psychotic. And she was ready to get out. And then, just before she was ready to make her break, she found out she was pregnant again. And she said, okay, I've got to at least give it one more try. I came from a broken home. I don't want my boys to come from a broken home. So she decided to go back, go down to the Virgin Islands, and try to put their relationship back together again. Well, she didn't know it at the time, but he had gone into a... uh, art shop and was buying some art supplies because he also did artwork too and that's where he met the owner of that shop 
and she wanted guitar lessons. And so that's how their romance started. Wow. That's um, quite the quite the story. And so now they've got split custody, and um, what happens next? Well, the um, one thing that they wanted, the, the psychologist recommended, was that the visitation, because the boys were so little, that being away from either parent, for five full days was too long, that they wanted to have a, a she, she recommended a three, two, three uh, visitation thing. So you'd be with um, one parent for three days, the other parent for two days, the next parent for two days, and then, I forget, well, it, it rotates in a way that you had three days with one parent, two days with the next parent, and then two days with the first and three with the second. You see, so it would be three days or two days for each visit, and that and it was broken down that way. And um, he didn't want to do that. He clearly didn't want to do that. And so that's when I think the plan started being made. In the middle of all of this, right after that report came out, he acted all nice to Laura because... He wanted Laura to take the boys for a solid week because his wife was about to have a baby of her own. Oh, wow! And so you—you've you, mentioned that um, in it, it, it how they were—I don't know—disturbed couple. So was the new wife kind of aware of what was going to happen? I think she was. I think she was every bit aware. Um, as her daughter told me, she said, everybody keeps talking about what a manipulator Grant is. But what they need to understand is my mother, Amanda, is just as big a manipulator as he is. So what was she um, getting out of it then um, with the other two kids? Well, when, uh, when she hooked up with Grant, she had a lot of money. She had a really good nest egg. But she, she had, uh, one of her husbands had died and left her quite a bit of money. And she uh, was, and that's how she split herself when she first went to the islands. And, you know, was able to set up that shop. But Grant kept wanting her to finance different things like pay for an expensive trip to Hawaii or pay for this kind of uh, artistic adventure and all these different things. And he wasn't, if he, the money he was bringing in was sufficient to pay his bar tabs, but hardly anything else. So she then was supporting herself, uh, the daughter she had from her first marriage, Grant, and Grant's two children. And her money was going through through the family like water. And soon she was down to having some very expensive jewelry she had hot. I mean, she was losing everything. 
And one of the things Grant wanted to do was give Laura $25,000 to give up custody of the kids. And she knew they didn't have that kind of money. And where were they going to get it? She just didn't know. Um, and she just wanted Laura gone out of her life, not to be bothering her or bothering Grant or picking up the kids or anything. Hmm. So what, what was the next move for them then? Well, out of the blue, Grant calls up and says, uh, why don't you pick up the boys on Wednesday? Which at one point, that's what Laura wanted to do, to see them in the middle of the week. And uh, she was was really excited about it, and she had some business appointments lined up, and she thought that she could get there in time to meet him at a public place with the boys, uh, where the boys like to play, and that was the original plan. But then her business appointments were all actually becoming very successful ventures for her, and she was signing up more customers, and... And because she was signing everybody up, it was taking longer. So she uh, ended up arriving late and agreed to meet at his apartment, where she had previously said she would never go. But she agreed to. And when, after she walked through the front door of their apartment, no one ever saw her again. Wow. And and do we ever know what happened to her, or did they find her body? It was uh, a little while before they found their body, because what had happened is she signed a paper giving up custody of the children in exchange for $25,000. Now, one of the things she always did was carry a tape recorder with her. She recorded every interaction she had with Grant or Amanda. She recorded um, every telephone call they had. And once she recorded them, she would download them onto her computer. Well, the law enforcement thinks, and I strongly agree, that she would have never willingly signed that paperwork. So that tells me that she was coerced into signing it in some way. And once she signed it um, and got up to leave, she had she couldn't help herself. She turned around and taunted them about having it all on her tape recorder to prove what they had done. And I think when she did that, that's when they decided they had to kill her right then and there. Wow. Uh, so they were both involved in it then? Yes, and um, she, uh, what they did after that was cut her body into pieces, put it in coolers, and transport it from Raleigh, North Carolina to uh, outside of Houston, Texas, and dumped the body parts in the creek. Wow. Uh, did you think they had that planned? or? Uh, I think that they had a real sloppy plan for getting rid of her. I think 
that they anticipated that she would be a problem and they were going to have to take some action with her in that way. But I don't think that they had planned it exactly that way that day because too many of the pieces weren't in place in time. Um, it was that same night that she disappeared in her, their apartment that uh, he went to Walmart at 2 a.m. to buy the saw to use to cut her up. Oh, so it was kind of after the fact then that uh, he was doing that. Yeah, yeah. So, so now if she was going to pick up the kids then, did, did they do this in front of the kids or while the kids were there? Um, there is a strong belief that based on something Grant said, that one, uh, the older boy actually saw his mother laying dead on the floor, but he might not have known that's what he, that she was dead. She, but he knew, but he, he saw her on the floor, not getting up. Wow. Well, that must have been hard to, uh, cut her up and do these things with the kids. I mean, they must have had to get rid of them somewhere. Yeah. Well, they had, um, they had, uh, Amanda's daughter, who was at that point in her early 20s, and she came over, picked up the kids, and uh, took them out to uh, Monkey Joe's and to a park and to a restaurant. And um, at one point she called back and said, well, can I bring them back now? It's been a couple hours. They're getting bored. And she was told to keep them longer. And so that is in all likelihood when they cut up the body and they probably did it in the hallway bathroom that used to be the bathroom the little boys used where all their toys were and all this stuff and uh, when police arrived there later uh, they found that there weren't anything that belonged to the boys in there and that in addition to that the rugs the curtains um, the toilet seat cover, all that was gone, and the room just smelled like bleach. Mm. And do you think the daughter was aware of why she was keeping the kids away? No, she had no idea, no idea at all. She was um, so devastated afterwards. Uh, she felt like her whole life, her mother had turned her whole life to a lie, and um, she could not imagine how she'd been used in that way. I mean, she was; she has not even spoken to her mother. Wow! And so now, how long before the were the police? Obviously, I guess they were suspicious of him being the uh, ex partner not not husband i guess so how long before the police started investigating and finding uh finding clues well it happened on a wednesday night and um laura's business partner and her friends were getting more and more agitated with every passing day um her business partner went up to Laura's apartment complex, and although it was a gated community, uh, she could look into the garage area where Laura always parked her car, and it was it was still there when she looked in. 
and um, she, and, no, wait a minute, no, it was gone, and that concerned her that Laura would go off somewhere without letting her know. It was also, she used, uh, she called her cell phone, and that wasn't answered, and she knew Laura always answered her cell phone in case it was something about the boys. And so she uh, went up there a couple of times before finally on the Sunday after Laura disappeared, going to the police and reporting her missing. And that's when it all got started. And um, another one of Laura's friends went to the police in Raleigh and uh, said that she's in the middle of a very ugly custody battle. And if anyone heard her, it had to be um, Grant. And that they found out that was the last place she was supposed to be going was to Raleigh. So the investigation then shifted from the town where she lived, Kinston, up to Raleigh. But meanwhile, while this is going on, Grant and his wife, his infant girl, and two little boys are in Texas. And when um, he gets contacted by phone by the police, he acted like he was still in Raleigh, but he was just outside the city a bit in what he called the boonies and had a really bad signal when he was actually in Texas. Wow. And the odd thing is, is when he and his wife were driving back towards North Carolina, the police were setting out from North Carolina out to Texas to where they had gone, which was Amanda's sister's house. They found that out from uh, Amanda's daughter, Shay. Sounds like a pretty, I don't know, a manipulating group and <laughs> complicated. Uh, so, how long before they actually arrested him? And did they both get arrested? Yes, they both got arrested. Uh, they got back. It was just under a week after the murder that they were both arrested. As soon as they actually found parts of. Laura's body, uh, Grant and Amanda were arrested. And how did the trial go for them? Now, were you able to meet them? I know that with Tommy Lincells, you were able to meet and, and talk with him quite a bit. Um, no, I was not able to meet with either of these people. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes, I mean, you, you can't meet with a any kind of prisoner unless they say they give their approval. And um, and a lot of times that involves not just their approval, but, you know, lawyer's approval. So um, I, I, that didn't work out in this case. But talking to Shay, who it was her mother that did this, and she spent time living with the couple, so she knew them but she knew Grant pretty well, too. And getting her insider look at what life was like and what Grant was like was really, really bizarre. 
you know, now did she suspect of any sort of thing like this, or did she, would she believe that her mother and new stepfather would do this? She had her moment of um, denial, but it didn't last very long. And uh, we're talking days, and she she realized that uh, that this was something she was used to help perpetrate this horrible crime, and uh, she was absolutely appalled. So now, what happened to the um, the two the two kids uh, that um, uh, Laura and uh, Grant? Uh, little Grant and Gentle, as well as the grandbaby Lily, uh, all went to live with Grant's parents. So they must be pretty confused over the whole thing because they're pretty young. Yeah, they don't. I mean, I don't think that there's any way they can really understand it. Uh, the, the little girl Lily is uh, Shay's half-sister, and uh, she keeps in touch with her, even though uh, she lives out in New Mexico and uh, Lily's in North Carolina. She flies there and, and visits with her and keeps in touch. And So that, that, that I think, is good for her. And uh, But they, they, all three of them are going to have serious stuff to deal with as young adults. Yeah, it's pretty... Um Pretty devastating. Um, so now I imagine the two of them got convicted then, and are they on death or are they have life? Grant um, was convicted and got life without parole. Amanda, unfortunately, was only convicted of second degree murder and got about 16 years in prison. Why was she convicted of so much less if she was involved? I think she presented, her defense presented a case that she, was, she too was Grant's victim and that, um, you know, she, she was used and manipulated by him. And she said at trial that um, she didn't even know Laura was, dead until she got in Texas. Now, I'm sorry, but you're in an apartment with a man and a dead body, and you don't know that the body's being cut up? Please, give me a break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we see, we've seen it happen before, and I'm sure it'll happen again, you know. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I personally think she should have gotten a, a greater sentence, but uh, you know, it's at, at least she is locked up for now and not being able to interact with the children at all. Wow. You know, um, I, I wonder what he would have done in his previous life. Do you think? I mean, to be able to kill someone and cut them up and and do all that. Uh, do you think he had tendencies or done? crimes like this before? Um, I, I don't think he'd committed any crimes like this before, 
but um, he he was very physically intimidating, and and he had drawn a knife on people before. Um, uh, he he really had a sense that he was entitled um, to run ev- the lives of everyone around him. He felt entitled to special treatment in every way. He felt that um, the oh, he was very hung up on the fact that he was not rich and famous as he should be. He really felt that that's how he should be because he had talent. And he, he had this strange religio-physics philosophical belief system that um, that the government was going to um, get him and that he and these other special people were going to go to a special place and they were going to be elevated and he was going to build his dynasty on the backs of his children and he was going to have hundreds a hundred children with different mothers i mean it it was too bizarre for words he was obviously not um anywhere near what you would call a normal human being wow that's pretty um that's a pretty weird idea I guess, um, and nobody, nobody else noticed. Like, um, does he have any family, like parents, brothers, sisters? Well, his parents even told Laura, you know, get away from him. He, you know, he'll pimp you if he wants to. You need to get away from him. They warned her, and because she was so much under Grant's thumb. And had been mentally manipulated so well, she fell into the fact to his lies about why they would do that to him, and he had so many different stories about his childhood. Some of them were about how perfect and wonderful and blissful and Christian his childhood was. Others were about dysfunction involved um, alcoholism, involved sex with his aunts. It was like you didn't know with him where he was getting truth, where he was fabricating, where he was borrowing from someone else's life. It was impossible to form the lines. Really bizarre. Well, um, another um, very interesting book, uh, Bitter Remains, um, written by Diane Fanning. Um, so, what do you have? Do you have something planned next? Have you got another book coming out as well? Are you writing something now? Or, well, I do have a work fiction, World War II fiction, coming out this summer called um, Treason in the Secret City. It is a second book in a series that started with Scandal in the Secret City, and I am currently working on a book about. Uh, the death of Vinnie Villafour in the Hudson River in what his fiance was a kayaking incident, uh, accident, but which the police have charged that fiance with first degree murder. 
Wow, I guess you'll always keep in business doing uh, <laughs> true crime. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, it would be nice if there just weren't any more murders to write about, but people keep making them happen. Yeah, yeah. It's endless, it seems like. Well, well um, and uh, contact information, let's give that out to people. Okay, I am uh, online at dianefanis.com. And that's where my website is. On uh, Facebook, I have a regular Facebook page. I also have a, a page called True Crime Books, where it's all about my true crime books and some true crime stories. And where I am currently giving away uh, to a lucky winner a their choice of a cop autographed copy of the book or of the nine CD set of the audio book, whichever they prefer. Wow. Wow. Just remember this. So people listening, uh, dianefanning.com, and maybe you'll win. Yeah, just, well, the contest actually is on the True Crime True Crime Books page on Facebook, okay. and that's when they can enter to win. Wow. Excellent. Um, well, again, always a pleasure and so much information. Um, Thank, thank you very much for uh, talking to us. It's been my pleasure. It's always nice talking with you, Alan. The mission has been completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you. This has been a production of the Z-Talk Radio Network. If you're lying to me, I'll be back.